0: In today's episode, I talk about art that is hanging on my wall, which leads me to talk about Kurt Vonnegut, Bone by Jeff Smith, Star Trek, Rush, and Leonard Cohen. It's gonna be one of those shows. Buckle in. I think you'll have a good time. I'm your host, Derek Brink, and you wouldn't believe it, you're listening to Empty Checking. Hey there checkmates, how you doing? It's been a few weeks, huh? Sorry about that. I've been uh, busy and distracted and other things. I hope you've at least been going to the blog to get uh, little updates on why there's been no show. I've been writing every now and again over at uh, emptychecking.blogspot.com. You should really think of that as your home base for the show. Hey, tell you what, how about we set a new record and I just get all of the website stuff out of the way right here at the top the blog is as i said emptychecking.blogspot.com you can go there there's stuff i write in between shows there's stuff i write about the current shows there's photos there's all sorts of stuff there that you can enjoy Please check that out and consider it your home page for the show. The show itself, of course, is hosted at emptychecking.podbean.com. If you like me and want to know more about me for some reason, go on over to derekbrink.com. It's mostly stuff about my musical career. If you like the songs that you hear throughout the show, you can uh, check them out and download them for absolutely free over at derekbrink.bandcamp.com. All you do is insert zero as your purchase price, and it is your you can take it. You can have it. I don't care that you took it. I won't know that you took it because I don't collect your email address. Just take it and enjoy it and know that I would just love it if you loved it. Of course, you can also email the show at db at derekbrink.com. My initials: db. At derekbrink.com, and I will get that and I will read it and I will reply to you, or I might even read your email on the show if it's something that sparks some conversation for me. Uh, you can leave comments places, but I will only see them on the blog or on the Podbean site. I don't see them anywhere else. I have been made aware that sometimes people leave comments other places. I don't read those other places. I only read the blog or the Podbean site, or I'll read my emails. It seems like most of you seem to like writing me emails. And that's something that I actually want to talk about here at the top of the show. And no, I'm not going to read any uh, listener mail here on on this episode— but uh, it's something that's on my mind because I've got a couple of emails and I've got some good ones that are actually going to generate some conversation. But one of the things that that sort of sparked in my head is that uh, I don't know if you guys notice this, if you look at the episode titles and that kind of stuff, or if you just kind of keep count on your, your uh, p- podcast app of choice, if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or uh, uh, Shitbox. I don't know what the podcast apps are named anymore, uh, but I don't know if you've noticed this. We are, uh, as I'm speaking right now, this is episode number 98. We are about to hit episode 100 here in the next couple of weeks or months or years whenever I actually get my shit together to do a show. We're going to hit episode 100 soon and that's a nice round 3 digit number it's a number that's significant to a lot of people it's a number that uh, is in many ways significant to me because i'm uh, it's 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 a whole lot of effort that i've put into the show up to this point and uh, i wanted to do something special for that show and you're probably thinking that i've got something in mind that i've i've got a big deal planned for episode 100 that i'm going to do something different and fun and amazing. Maybe it's a clip show. Maybe it's something like that. Nah, I don't, I don't really have anything like that. I can't do a clip show. I don't know how I'm, go- how I would even start to do a highlight show of here are the best moments of the past hundred episodes. Uh, I'm, I do this alone. I'm one guy and, uh, that's a very, sort of difficult position to be in. If you're going to put together a highlight reel of like, what are the best moments of the show? Don't know. Don't have anybody reacting to it in person, like to my face. Uh, I have some things that I liked, but, uh, I do this by myself. I do all the editing by myself, uh, to put together a highlight show. I would have to listen to 100 episodes of me talking and, uh, I'm not going to do that. So that's not happening. Not doing a highlight reel. Uh, don't have any guests planned. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. Can't get a guest in here. It's uh, it's not possible to do that. I mean, I guess I could do a phone thing. I've done phone things in the past, but, you know, what, really, what would that do to mark the 100th episode? So much of this show was just me talking to you blankly by myself and you dance with the one that brought you, you know? So if you're going to do a momentous show or or like mark an occasion on a show, maybe you don't do something different, you know? So I, I don't have a lot sort of planned for that, that I want to do that's special, except this. I said, I've got a couple emails sitting around that I want to answer on the show that I haven't yet. And I was thinking... You know, I wouldn't keep doing this show if there weren't somebody out there listening to it. I do this show, well, I do the show for me, because I like talking about the stuff I like, but I also do it a little bit for you, and uh, at least a little bit <laughs> for you. That's That was condescending, wasn't it? Sorry about that. I do love you, checkmates. I do this a little bit for you. Uh, and I was thinking maybe on the 100th episode, if it's possible, that'd be a great episode to just let... You have. And the best way that I can do that is to ask you to write me some emails. Write me stuff that you want read on the show. It can be questions, it can be comments, it can be outright insults. Maybe episode 100, if I get enough in to do this, maybe episode 100 is just me reading stuff that you've written comments on the blog, if you want to go to the blog at emptychecking.blogspot.com and leave a comment there. Maybe I'll read a comment of yours on the 100th episode. Maybe if you want to leave a comment on the Podbean page, I'll know that you'll have to comment there. But most likely, I'm gonna get your emails. That's the best way to contact me. db, aka Derek Brink, db, at derekbrink.com. Email me there, and maybe we can do a whole show of just user questions and comments. User? Not user. Listener. Listener questions and comments. I'm not editing that. Uh, there, there's, there's a lot in this show that I edit. Stuff that you probably don't realize that I edit out. Because I sound like an idiot with the stuff that I leave in. But the stuff that I edit out, it's usually stuff like that. But I'm not, I'm not editing this one a view behind the curtain. Uh, listener mail, maybe a hundredth episode can just be listener mail. And, uh, that would be fun for me. I think it would be fun for some of you. It also would mean that I don't have to do a lot of planning. So uh, (laughs) if you're a longtime checkmate, but want to do a first-time check-in, please send me an email to db at derekbrink.com or comment on the blog or Podbean page, and I will be glad to uh, uh, read it there as well. Uh, If you want your name read on the show, I will be glad to read your name. If you want a pseudonym, please use a pseudonym. If you want no name at all, just put somewhere in there that you'd rather your name not be shared, or just don't include your name on the email, and I won't read it. I will, of course, not disclose your email address or anything like that. But uh, send me stuff, and maybe I'll talk about you on the show. Maybe I'll answer you on the show. If I don't answer you on the show, then I, I try to reply to everything that I receive, uh, I don't reply to the people who are just mean and rude. Uh, there was one guy who, uh, the subject line was liberal cuck exclamation point, And, uh, that was as nice as he got in his email. Uh, and that guy didn't get a, re- a reply. But, you know, if you write in asking me what my favorite Zeppelin album is, I'll, I'll reply to that. Might not make the show, but I'll reply to you, at least. So email me stuff at db at derrickbrink.com. I would love for episode number 100 to be about you instead of me. And that's what we're building toward here in episode 98, and I'll remind you again in episode 99. Please send me something in, and I will get to it. I hope that that will be just the first couple weeks of May. I know I've been... Spotty with how much I've uploaded lately, but I I, I I plan to release these on a weekly schedule going forward from here. Uh, I'll tell you what's been keeping me away is I've been busy and I've been uh, just kind of kind of scatterbrained. Uh, I, I if you've been listening to the show recently, you know that I've had a contractor involved at my house. Uh, I finally have my main bathroom working to full capacity again, but. Uh, The contractor has been a little bit hit and miss as far as being in contact with me. Uh, uh, He's just left me hanging a lot. And like he'll, or like he'll send me a message and say, hey, I'll be in your area, area tomorrow. And I'll say, great, what time? Like I'll respond back in 30 seconds and say, great, what time? And then not hear from him. And then he's not here the next day at all. And I'll get a text from him later. Or I'll text him and say, hey, sorry, we missed each other when the fuck can you get over here and finish my bathroom floor? You know, that, that's that been an ongoing thing. And, uh, that's been keeping me frantic and busy and keeping just certain wires that I need plugged in to do this show unplugged to be out of his way in case he happens to stop by that day. And, uh, that's, that's, that's been a lot of what's been keeping me away from doing the show. And I'm sorry about that, but it's, it's kind of, it's work that's ongoing and work that's necessary, and it's just been a coordinating nightmare, and it's been distracting me, and I've, I've let the show suffer as a result of that. Uh, the other thing is just that, as I've mentioned many times, this show is low-key, just a publicity uh, sort of stunt f- to uh, support my music career, and uh, I've been working on new music. I'm producing two albums at the same time of original stuff that will be coming out in May, and that's hard, and uh, it's uh, it's got me frantic, and I keep listening to mixes and thinking I'm close and then dialing back and redoing the mixes and all that stuff. Uh, by the end of May, though, you're going to have two new Derek Brink albums, Uh, A lot of what I've been doing that would normally be time I would be spending recording this has been spent tweaking mixes and mastering albums and stuff like that. So that's been keeping me busy, too. I hope when you hear those albums that you'll agree that they were worth the sacrifice of there not being a weekly show for a little bit. We're getting really close. I think I'm going to be putting off releasing them until my birthday in May. My birthday is May 29th, in case anyone wants to send a card. Uh, I, I think I'm going to be putting them out on May 29th rather than brushing them just so I have a little bit more time and and flexibility and stuff, but uh, those will be coming out soon, and that's been keeping me busy and keeping me distracted from the show as well. Other than that, life has been going forward much the same way it has for this whole pandemic year, except for the fact that uh, this past uh, April 20th on 420, hashtag uh, 420, uh, however, hashtags work. On 420, I got my first vaccine shot. I'm on the uh, Pfizer plan, and I got a uh, vaccine shot one of two. I am half vaccinated as I speak to you right now, which uh, the only thing that happened to me as a result of that is my arm hurt for about a day and a half. But otherwise, the only thing that happened was my self esteem and my comfort level went up dramatically. I will be fully vaccinated by the end of May and I hope that all of you are doing likewise. That's been the biggest events in my life. I hope that they are, uh, that that you can say that similar events are the biggest events in your life too, because we have a chance to beat this thing. This episode is going to be a fun one. I'm going to be talking about art that is hanging on my walls that will devolve into a discussion of many other things. Let's get to it. Yeah, I got some art that's hanging up on the wall, and I'm gonna start by talking about the thing I'm most excited about, and then we'll uh, keep talking about stuff that I also like, but isn't quite as brand spanking new, and uh, that you know isn't isn't the thing that I j- just want to burst talking about. Uh, I uh, several months ago, back in September, actually, I haven't even talked about this on the show because I was waiting until I had the finished product to kind of talk about it on the show. Others who follow me on social media and whatnot already know. But anybody who doesn't, this is uh, the big reveal. Uh, Back in September, I tracked uh, down—actually, this goes back years—but I tracked down a piece that is an autographed lithograph that is autographed by my favorite author, Kurt Vonnegut. And those who are familiar with my love of Vonnegut know how exciting that was for me. This goes back years and years, and I'm going to have to go back to about, I think, 2002 or three. I know I was in college at the time. Uh, Vonnegut started producing just lithographs of stuff that was associated with his works. Drawings, sketches, just uh, limited-run lithographs of stuff that was related to his, his, uh, uh, his, 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 his books and his, his essays and stuff like that. Some of them were quotes, some of them were drawings, that kind of thing. And uh, like I said, limited runs. The one that I have is number 622 out of 700. Vonnegut was producing these pieces with the same guy who presently uh, curates the uh, Stedman, collection. Uh, Stedman is the guy who, like, you would know his art if you saw it. It's very kind of Uh, Like, it looks like it was all done, like, just spraying ink out of a heroin needle. Uh, Like, uh, uh, famously, art to go with uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Like, he had a close relationship with Hunter Thompson, Hunter S. Thompson, if you will. Uh, So this guy does lithographs of the Stedman stuff, and he did lithographs with Vonnegut while Vonnegut was still alive and was a good friend of Vonnegut and talked to him, I think, daily up until the time of his death and the way he figured out that there was something wrong with Kurt was that he wasn't replying. And, you know, then the inevitable happened, and that's how he lost his friend. And that uh, I became aware of the fact that Vonnegut was producing these pieces while he was still alive, obviously, because he was autographing them. And uh, because I was deeply steeped in Vonnegut's work in that time in my 20s, just reading everything and adoring everything and into to his website and stuff, and he, he he had announced through the website that they were selling these pieces, and I looked at them and thought, ooh, I, I, I'm a college student, there's just no way I can afford any of this. I mean, maybe someday, if it's still around, and, you know, Vonnegut will, I'm sure, still be alive <laughs> for several years, and uh, uh, when this stuff, you know, if this stuff's still around, maybe some of it will come down in price, or maybe there will be more of it, and I can buy it then. And that was kind of the thought when I was, you know, 22, 23, or whatever. And then, of course, Kurt Vonnegut passed away, and I knew this stuff was still out there, but at the time that he passed away, it still wasn't, you know, on my radar as something I could possibly do. And uh, in recent years... I, uh, I've i gotten, you know, deeply steeped in Vonnegut again. I put out the whole Asterisk album a couple years ago now that is songs inspired by his works. That's available on the Bandcamp page. You can listen to that. Uh, it's one of my favorite things I've done. I'm very proud of that one. I'm very proud of the lyric writing on that one, and it just—it meant a lot to me to do that one. I And doing that, I got sort of deeper and deeper into Vonnegut's work again in what is— what was then my late 30s and is now my 40s. I'm still deep in Vonnegut's work. And uh, I I remembered those, those uh, lithographs, but I didn't remember what they cost. I thought, you know, I'm in a better place financially now than I was then. Maybe between... Having a little bit in my bank account and having a credit card, maybe I could pull something off. I wonder if any of it's still out there. And I went to his website and the 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 the, the lithographs are yeah, just been scrubbed from the website. I couldn't find any information on them whatsoever. I knew the name of the guy that he did the lithographs with because he's a, he's a known artist. he's he's well known as a curator of of these kind of collections. And uh, so I kind of, just started Googling him, thinking, maybe if I find him, I can appeal to him and just say, hey, I'm a gigantic Vonnegut fan, reading his stuff changed my life in my 20s, I'm now in my 40s, and it's still changing my life every day, And and etc., etc., etc. I thought maybe I could appeal to the guy if I could track him down. Uh, I tracked him down, and it turned out that he was selling a handful of what is left of these pieces on eBay. And of all places, on eBay, he had a a few of them still sitting around. And I saw the one I wanted, and it's an asterisk, of course it is. And I decided I wanted it, and it was at a dollar amount that I was comfortable paying, especially for an autographed piece that was autographed by someone who is now deceased, who has been deceased for more than a decade, uh, coming up on two pretty soon, I think. Uh, And, you know... I I I I was comfortable paying the number that he was asking so I paid the number that he was asking and he sent it to me and it arrived to my house in, in September of this past year and uh I'll tell you folks when it got here I have never been so nervous opening a package because in my head the whole time I'm like I'm cutting the tape off with a razor blade and just thinking I, I, it's impossible to do because this is a box, but I know that when I cut this tape, I'm going to be slashing through right, like right through the middle of, of the, the piece and like right through the autograph, you know? So just, just sweating, shaking the whole time and I get it out and it's in kind of a little sort of folder thing. And I get that open and he's got it wrapped in sort of tissue paper and taped down to the folder uh, the tissue paper, not the piece itself, sort of taped to the folder. And I just thought, yeah, I, I could kind of see it peeking through the tissue paper and my hands are shaking. And it was one of those things that before I even got the tissue paper off, I was like, I, I have to sit down for a second. you know like, <laughs> I just I couldn't handle it. So I, I, I you know kind of got my breath back and get, got my hands under control a little bit and opened up the paper and there was Kurt Vonnegut's autograph in pencil in the temporary form of pencil. And there it is for me, sitting there for me. And you can even see on the on the piece where he drug the pencil just a little bit, crossing his T. And it just made me so happy to have it. And I just, you know, like I was like teary-eyed. And uh, I just kind of was like, that's amazing. This is in my possession. This is in my home. I've gently and with very clean hands touched the paper that I know Kurt Vonnegut rested his hand on, and I then folded it back up, packaged it back up, set it aside to be professionally framed because I didn't trust myself to do it, and also because it's a slightly unusual size. It's 7 by 10, and good luck with that. And uh, it has a feathered edge down at the bottom of the piece, and I just kind of thought, I... I really like the way that feathered edge looks, too, because it it was torn from something, you know, and that that just feels special, and I want to preserve that, and I know I don't have the skill to do that, and I just thought, okay, I've got to take that someplace professionally to get it framed, so I asked for places to go. On my Facebook, a friend of mine from high school, going back to high school, recommended a place, and I went there. Uh, you know what? Uh, they have no affiliation with the show. If they hate hearing their name on the show, if they ever do, I apologize. Uh, the, the place is called the great frame up and they have locations throughout the St. Louis area. They're a small business. I went to the Creve core location. Uh, the young lady who helped me there, uh, her name is Becca. She was fantastic. Ask for her. If you have a chance to frame anything there, she made the process so fun. Uh, the the thing is though, I didn't go and take it in in September. I uh, meant to. Uh, like I a, a few days, maybe a week or two went by with it just kind of sitting in my house and me going, okay, I've got to do this. Yeah, but there's a pandemic going on and I don't know and so on and so on and so on. But uh, I I let a couple of weeks go by and I thought, okay, I, I I'm gonna make an appointment with that place. I'm gonna go in and take it in. So I make the appointment with the place and I get in my car to go to the place and my car won't start. And that started off a series of problems with my car that lasted for a long time that it's documented on past episodes of this show. Uh, and, uh, so I had to pour some money into the car and I thought, all right, well, I don't have, I mean, yeah, I wasn't broke, but I kind of went, I would be more comfortable building up a little bit more money before I go in and have this thing framed. So I put it off and put it off and put it off. Finally, this month, I decided just on a whim, this is when it's happening. I'm going to go in and I'm going to get it framed right now. And so I took it in on April the 10th. And you know what I didn't realize at the time when I took it in? April the 11th is the anniversary of Kurt Vonnegut's death. And so right on schedule, I took it in to be framed, but I took it into the grape frame up and met Becca there and they did it by schedule, by appointment. We were both masked up. We kept our distance from each other. It was very professional, very safe. It was a, an excellent transaction in that in that way, but also it was just fun that she got excited about the project too. And it just sort of, uh, you know, I told her vaguely sort of what I had in mind, but that I was open to ideas. And and she said, well, something that's got this much black in it, because it's just a black asterisk with a pencil signature underneath it, that's all it is. Uh, something, you know, that's that, like that, she said, I would normally use this frame. And uh, this is what the frame, you know, the would look like, you know, here's... Just they, if you've ever been to a frame, framing place, they just have little corners of frame there that they show you what it is and they build the frame after you leave. So she showed me the little corner that is what she normally would use. And she said, but I'll be honest with you, I don't like it. And I said, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> you know. And so she said, OK, I'm glad you said that. Let's let's look at a couple options and she pulled one down that was a little bit more of a rustic looking frame had a little bit of gray and with the black of the of the wood and she set that down next to it, and I said, "That's that's the frame. That's the frame that I want. The gray in the frame is going to make the signature pop and pull out the grays of the of the pencil, and also the black goes with the with the asterisk. And that's that's perfect. It's a great frame." She go she goes, "Okay, great. Let's talk about mats." I was like, "I knew we would, you know." <laughs> so we we moved into talking about mats. And she said, now, I notice you've got this feathered edge down here at the bottom. And I said, yeah, I was wondering if there was a way to uh, to preserve that. And she said, I'm glad you said that. Here's what I've got in mind. And she uh, just kind of pulled out a couple of different matting options, one of which she said that she uses for her own charcoal drawings, which, I, you know, look, I, I don't know her that... She may or may not legitimately do charcoal drawings, but I I don't think she was lying to me. Uh, I I'm absolutely sure that there were a couple of points where I was being upsold a little bit, but I was also absolutely on board to be upsold. I was I was the customer that you want in that situation. But uh, she you know kind of showed me one that she said that she liked with charcoal drawings, and I looked at it and it just really made the signature pop, and I just fell in love with it. I, this is perfect. Let's do this. You know, let's I'm I'm in. And uh, I had a dollar in my amount in mind for what I thought Yeah, I was comfortable paying for that, too, because if you take something to be professionally framed and you don't go to Michael's, which largely ends up putting it in a frame that you could have done yourself— Uh, If if you get something professionally framed at a professional framing store by professional framers and are also supporting a small business, it's going to be costly. It's going to be a higher dollar amount than what you could do it yourself for. And also, I'm paying for acid-free materials that I wouldn't get if I purchased something myself, and I'm paying for museum-quality glass in the frame that I wouldn't get if I did something myself. There are obvious points where it's going to cost more, you're also paying for labor, you're also paying for the frame to be designed to fit, for the mat to be cut to fit, etc., etc., etc. So there there are costs there that you might not be prepared for if you've never had anything professionally framed before. I've never had anything professionally framed before, but I am enough in touch with related industries that I was ready for a high dollar number. And I had a number in my head. They were just a touch higher than it, but it was still in a field that I was comfortable with. Uh, I'm not saying that they were high priced. I'm saying that I had a wrong number in my head, and they told me what the right number was, and it was absolutely worth every penny. Uh, If you don't have things professionally framed, be prepared for sticker shock. If you do have things professionally framed, Great frame up is right in line with everybody else, and uh, a little bit better than some places that I I I have been aware of through others in the past. Because uh, I I did bounce you know numbers off a couple of friends that have had stuff framed, and they told me numbers and like they had higher numbers that they were saying for stuff of similar size that they've had done. So I was happy with the dollar amount. I was certainly happy with the experience. Uh, I told Becca when I picked it up today that uh, it was so strange. I walked out of the place happy before I even had the finished product in my hand. Like, before I had the thing I paid for, I was already happy with the experience. So uh, they're they're a great store. They did a great job, and I just kind of wanted to talk about the experience there. This is by far the longest I'm going to talk about any of the stuff I'm talking about because I'm excited about it, but also because it was a great experience at a great shop with a great person that I really, really appreciated, and it's always important to sort of pay that forward and say nice things. When When you can say nice things, you should. Uh, so I had a, I had a great time designing that. And, uh, the, the, the piece itself is, it's just got, it's got that simple pencil autograph. It's got the black asterisk on it on sort of a off-white sort of cream color paper with a little feathered edge at the bottom. And the mat underneath it is a very dark gray with a texture to it, kind of a, kind of a, I would almost call it like sort of a gravelly texture to it, sort of a, a raised sort of stony looking texture to it. And there's about an inch of that showing and a very dark gray that makes the graphite pop. And then the frame itself is, is black with a little bit of gray. It kind of looks rustic and, and weathered to it. And uh, I just, I absolutely loved how it came out and I, I got it today and I uh stopped by and saw my dad and showed it to him because he's a huge Vonnegut fan and is kind of the guy that got me into Vonnegut in the first place, so I thought he'd appreciate seeing it and he did. And uh it is hanging up in my house and there will be pictures of it over on Derekbrink.blogspot.com. I am so happy with it. It's uh it's almost a religious experience to just look up and know that <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut's signature is there on my wall. Uh that that just makes me so happy. Um and I've talked about Vonnegut extensively on this show in the past. I'm assuming that I don't need to again. But if you uh, if you want to get into Kurt Vonnegut, most people start by reading Slaughterhouse Five. I personally started by reading Cat's Cradle. Either of those books is great. I think my current favorite Vonnegut book is Breakfast of Champions. Uh, it's just it's a it's got a really beautiful ending to it. Um, but like those are those are sort of the books I'd point you to of course also God bless you Mr. Rosewater has one of the all-time great Vonnegut quotes in it. Uh, there's uh, he's got like 20 some books out there. If you need guidance, come to me and I will lead you. but he's one of my favorite authors. He's a uh, secular humanist in in viewpoint. Uh, some of what he wrote is a product of its time. there are some uh prejudices there that are not malicious but are just sort of this is this was an okay joke to make in you know 1963 you know stuff like that so there's uh, be prepared for that but also be aware that he was writing in a different time if he were writing now he would if he were alive now he probably would walk some of that back and say hey you know I made some jokes that I shouldn't have made in the day that I made them it was okay then, it's not okay now. I apologize for that, but the stories are still good. That would, I'm sure, be his position as a humanist. Uh, but uh, that's, that's just sort of a bird's eye view. If you want to get into Vonnegut, that's the stuff I would pick up as a reader, and uh, uh, I, I adore his work, and I'm so happy to have his autograph, not just in my possession, but also on display. Uh, now, if the world could get back to a point where I had somebody to display it to, that would be lovely. But uh, <laughs> it's actually felt this past year or so like we've been living in a Vonnegut novel. Those of you who have read them know what I'm talking about. But uh, uh, it's, it's it, it makes me happy to look over and see it. It's hanging in my living room, and it makes me happy to look over and see it. And uh, uh, I, I don't know, there will be pictures on the blog, and uh, it's, it's just something I wanted to share and talk about as well as, as as well as just giving a little bit of free publicity to the great frame up uh seriously check them out if you are in the St. Louis area and, it, and you need something framed they're really good people and if you're in Creve Coeur ask for Becca and uh, tell her I sent you that it won't get you anything you, you will receive no discount for saying that I sent you but uh the the guy with the Kurt Vonnegut print you yeah, who uh, was really happy with her just uh, tell her that uh, he uh recommended the the store and there you are uh like I said nobody gets any discount for that it, Nobody gets any. There's there's no reason for you to even say it, but it'd just kind of be nice to. It's one of those pay it forward things. Like just, I, I I'm gonna go back there next time I have something to frame that isn't a twenty dollar picture that I got at Target. Uh, I'm gonna go back there, <laughs> and uh, uh, I just I, I can't say enough about them and I can't say enough about Becca. She was just great to work with, and that was a great store with pricing right in line with what it should have been. So. Uh, Check them out if you need stuff framed, and also uh, read Vonnegut. You'll be a better person for it. Uh, This is the segment where I'm talking about literature-type stuff, uh, type art that is on my wall, so I've got another thing that is also also went up in my house this week that is related to something that I've read, so that kind of ties together, so we're not going to play any music yet. I'm going to just move into talking about the other thing. And the other thing is also a signed piece, although not nearly as pricey of one, and the author is still with us. I uh, now have some art hanging up in my wall that is artwork related to my all-time favorite comic book, Bone, by Jeff Smith. I bought a piece that is Phone Bone, the main character of Bone, just sitting amongst the rocks that sort of start out the story, sort of the, the start of the epic adventure. Uh, he's just kind of little cute little guy sitting there against a big rock landscape and underneath it, Jeff autographed it and he sells those at his website for, you know, a very reasonable price that, you know, signed stuff is either super reasonable or insanely expensive. And this was super reasonable. So I, I have been wanting that for a long time because I really love bone. And I finally just thought, you know what, uh, there's no reason that I shouldn't buy this. It's a reasonable price. I've wanted it forever. There's a space on my wall that I have kind of known it was going to go for a long time, so I'm going to buy it. So I bought it, and it's hanging up on my wall now, right over my stereo in in the front room. And uh, I'm really happy with that, too. That one I framed myself, because it was a size that fits into a frame, and also it was like... What I paid for it was a dollar amount that I was comfortable framing myself. So uh, I, I put that up, and it's a very simple piece, and I just put it in a simple black poster frame. You know, nothing to write home about, really. But it's a very simple piece and a very straightforward piece, but it makes me really happy to have on my wall, because I really, really love bone. And if you don't know what Bone is, I'm sure I've talked about it on the show in the past. I I can remember some of the photos I took when I talked about it in the past, but I don't remember... I actually don't remember if it was in this iteration of the show, because they're newcomers. This show has kind of had two different lives. It was around the early 2000s, and then I took a several, several year break, and we are now in sort of Mach 2 or Phase 2 of the show. Uh, And that's how I'm, uh, you know, I I started, it's sort of like how Doctor Who numbers things. Like, we're in season, like, 13 of Doctor Who or whatever, but we're actually in, like, season 73 or something. I don't know the numbers. Sorry, Hoovians. I I apologize for not having that committed to memory, as you probably do. But it's a little bit like that with the show. There was a previous version that I sort of don't count in the current numbering, but it existed. I think it might have been on that version that I talked about Bone, but my apologies if I actually talked about it last week and just don't remember. Because, you know, that sounds like me frankly. But uh, Bone is a, is a comic book. It's, I guess now it, it could be identified as a graphic novel. I think there's nine volumes in the colorized version, or it's available in a one-volume set. Uh, Bone is something that I got into in the 90s, because my brother picked up a couple issues, and I read those issues and just fell in love with it, because it's very, very charming. Uh, Bone and the Bone characters are guys who sort of look like schmoos, if you know what a schmoo is. Or just Google Jeff Smith Bone. Everything is spelled the way you think it is. J-E-F-F-S-M-I-T-H-B-O-N-E. If you just Google that, you can get a look at what Bone is. Uh, Just cute little guys, very... Wholesome, very friendly looking, very kind of—it It played to the, I, I'm gonna say, tween that I was at the time. I was sort of a kid, but ready to get into a bigger sort of world of stories, and Bone was a great transition into that. Because uh, it starts off very simple and very charming. It's uh, three cousins just sort of lost, trying to figure out how they're going to get home, trying to figure out where they are, meeting new people and and getting into new experiences. And it, it it just starts out really innocent in that way. And then you get into it, and there's this sort of dark undercurrent. There's there are forces moving that we don't yet understand right from the beginning that are intense and dark and scary and 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 there's there's a mystery and just sort of a, a, a Lord of the Ringsy under undercurrent that's starting to develop just right away from from the very beginning. But it is still really wholesome and really sweet looking you know, and then it just kind of goes bananas and like <laughs> all kinds of stuff happens. There's, uh, you know, evil spirits, there's dragons, there's, uh, uh, giant mountain lions, there's, uh, rat creatures. The rat creatures are there almost right away. And, but the rat creatures, not gross, not scary. They're, uh, uh actually sort of the best comic relief in the whole book. And, uh, they're, they're great. You'll, you'll love the rat creatures uh and it it's it 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 explodes into a very lord of the ringsy st- style story and a, a big epic story that sweeps across multiple volumes but that starts off really really sweet and really really cute and even as it gets into the darker stuff and the more intense plot it still remains really really cute and really really sweet and really really charming they don't they he jeff smith doesn't dial back the charm of it and doesn't sacrifice any of that for the darker elements of the story nor does the charm take away from the darker elements of the story the charm of it adds to the darker elements because when somebody's in trouble when it looks like somebody might die you really get worried about that character because you're you're in your head going but he's so cute. You can't, you can't treat him like that. And that's, that's, there's a whole war that happens, but it, it still at heart is an innocent little story about somebody just trying to find his way home in that very Lord of the Ringsy way. And I adore Bone. It's one of my favorite stories. And uh, like I said, got into it in the nineties, read just a handful of issues. I think maybe the first two trade paperbacks were out at that time. And at that time it was in black and white. And I fell in love with the, with those early stories. And then it became hard to find, at least in this area, it became hard to come upon an issue of bone. And I kept hearing here and there that, oh, he's up to, you know, issue whatever, and it's just hard to get and it's hard to find here. And it just, it just got difficult to finish the story until one day. And, you know, it was always in my head, but I kind of put it out of my head because I thought, you know. I give up. I don't think I'm ever going to find this thing. I don't think I'm ever going to know how it ends, but I sure did enjoy reading the start. And then one day, and this is going back a while, I was in a Borders bookstore, of all places, and I ran into the full one-volume edition. I, I was on my own, and I was just walking through the graphic novel section, and it was just sitting there. And out loud, I just said, he finished it. And it was there, and I didn't have the money to buy it, and I bought it, and that's <laughs> that's how that, that worked. Uh, that was in the, I think, early 2000s. It had to be, and it was still in black and white at that time. But it was this huge, thick, uh, you-could-beat-a-whale-to-death-with-it-size graphic novel, and uh, just one volume, and I just spent the next day just reading all of it, and it was a 10- 15-year journey for me that got wrapped up into just a day and worth every single moment of the wait. It's just such a beautiful story and so well told and so fulfilling. And uh, he's done other stuff with the characters since. There are different sort of iterations of Bone that followed that, but the main story, timeless and perfect. Uh, it's beautiful. If you're worried about your kids reading it, don't. It's it's perfectly fine for kids. I, I saw somebody on like an Amazon review complain that uh, well, there there are people smoking in this. Y- 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 there there are people smoking in Walgreens. Like what? That's a you know. Yes, there's somebody who as a gimmick has a cigar that he smokes from time to time, and yes, people have you know ales in in the story. It's all really, really innocent and really charming, and they're not giving it to preschoolers, you know? These are ostensibly adults that are enjoying things that adults can enjoy and not to excess and not to their ruination. So there's that in there. If you're the most prudish of prudes that has ever pruded, then yes, somebody has a cigar. And round about page 908 of it or something, a grizzled old man says the word damn once. So there is one quote-unquote profanity in there that was appropriately used and fit the scene and was out of a character that would absolutely say that word, and it's in there once out of hundreds of pages. I don't think it's 900 pages, but nine volumes, I think. So, you know, in in like one of the latter volumes, it was in there. Uh, And it's something that at that point— People had been reading for years and years, and a lot of the audience had grown up with it, and it just kind of was a little bit almost of an acknowledgement of the passage of time. But yeah, there is one quote-unquote curse word in it, and it's one of the mildest ones that you could possibly ask for. Uh, But other than that, absolutely a kid's story. Absolutely a story that a kid should read. I know several people who have read it to their kids, whose kids have copies uh, it's been such a fascinating journey because it started out with you couldn't find it anywhere for any amount of money, and then suddenly it's published, and it's a full version, and there are, have subsequently been color versions put out. Scholastic Book Company is putting out colorized versions of it. Scholastic is putting out colorized versions, and that's so cool when it starts out as an indie thing that you can't find, and then Scholastic is, is publishing it and has colorized it, and the colorization is perfect and great and looks exactly how I imagined it when it was in black and white. It's beautiful and wonderful, and I, I have no objection to the colorization of it at all. It's perfect uh, and, and great to read in that format. I've reread it, and that format since, and it's it's still phenomenal, uh, and it's even in school libraries now and things like that. It's just been such a cool journey watching that thing explode, and when I knew that I had the opportunity to get some signed Jeff Smith art on my wall, I absolutely took it, you know, <laughs> like I knew I was going to take that all along, and I'd been on the website a number of times over a multi-year period going, yeah, yeah I'm going to do that, but today's not the day, and I finally just reached the point where I thought, you know, today really should be the day because you never know when something like that's going to disappear. And it's here now and the time to buy it is when you see it. So I bought it and it's on my wall. And uh, there are other signed pieces there that you can get to, uh, including exactly the same one I got. It's, you know, a print that he just signs at the bottom, you know, so it's, it's not, it's no big deal. There are, probably thousands of them out there. It's not like a major collector's piece. It's priced really reasonably. It's a two-digit number that it's priced. So uh uh yeah, check that out if you want some signed art. But if you even if you don't want the signed art, definitely check out Bone. It's one of my favorite stories. It's definitely my favorite comic book, and I have been singing its praise for decades, and I will continue to do so until all of you are with me in spirit on this thing. I uh, absolutely love it. The trade paperbacks, the, the Scholastic Colored Edition, uh, everything's really reasonably priced. I think you can get the Scholastic Colorized ones for, like, under 10 bucks on Amazon right now. 10 bucks a pop, so why not? You're, you know, buy the first one. If you don't like it, you're out 10 bucks. Sorry. You know, like, you can't blame me for that. You're the one that spent it. But if you don't like it, you're only out 10 bucks. Buy a couple of Blu-rays with it, and you won't even notice that you didn't like it, you know? Uh, But you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. It's a great story that appeals to everybody, and you're gonna love it. Bone is one of my favorite things in the world. I have that on my wall. I have an autograph piece from Jeff Smith on my wall related to Bone. I have an autographed Kurt Vonnegut thing on my wall. It has been a really cool week for me in terms of stuff that I've loved reading for decades, and uh, that's 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 kind of that stuff. That's the literary portion of the art show for, uh, for now, and uh, we're gonna, I think, play some music, and we'll come back and talk about more stuff, and probably do it a little bit quicker because the stuff I'm going to talk about following this is going to be a little bit more familiar to most of you change you have to be the change and let justice be your guide the system is crashing and we're underreacting. we should be marching side by side we're passing down the fight to another set of kids Alright, this middle thing is probably gonna go pretty quick, because you don't really need me to describe this to you. You don't need me to go into detail on what this is, because this is one of those things that you already either love or don't love. And uh, what I'm talking about is I've got some art on my walls that is related to Star Trek. I don't think it's any secret that I am a Trekkie, and I prefer the term Trekkie to trekker because Trekkie is easier to remember. That is the only reason. Uh, I know there's a big debate about that. Uh, Sorry, anybody who feels otherwise, I don't care, and there's no reason you should either, but I, I like the show a lot. As does most of society, or a large portion of it, anyway. And I, I, I've never made any secret about that. It's not necessarily something that is the first words out of my mouth if somebody asks me what I'm into. I don't immediately just Star Trek. I'm I'm into Star Trek, but it once somebody knows me, they go, Yeah, okay, that checks out. Of course, you're into Star Trek. You know, (laughs) it just seems like the kind of thing I would be into so many people are why why shouldn't I be but I uh, I got into Star Trek when I was like a kid like pre-teen I'm sure I was into Star Trek because the old series was on and around and I just thought well this is this is crazy and fun and I like it and uh then next generation happened and I was on board for that uh, I didn't see all of it in sequence at the time but I saw a lot of it as it was still airing even and uh, my parents liked that stuff too, and I remember seeing episodes of uh, TNG when I was uh, very young, and I watched uh, Deep Space Nine quite a bit of it as it aired, but didn't see all of it until many years later, because, you know, TV was what it was at the time. You missed something, and you didn't see the next episode, and then suddenly you weren't watching the show anymore, and you might check in occasionally. And that was kind of my relationship with DS9 at the time. Voyager, I watched uh, sort of after the fact. I caught a lot of the sort of rerun episodes, and eventually bought the DVD set, but uh, you you know, that was the original sort of four, and I saw the movies, of course, but, uh, then Discovery came out, and I was late getting into Discovery, really only got into that in the last year. I was on board with Picard immediately, as I've said on the show previously. Uh, I even like Lower Decks, which is an animated thing that they're doing on the CBS app thing. Uh, what is that called these days? Paramount Plus, maybe, is what it's called, I think. Uh, I like that. Uh, I've watched the Trekkies movies multiple times, I really love those movies. I am such a dork, I have the Trekkies 2 soundtrack, uh, which is the only, they didn't put out a Trekkies 1 soundtrack, there was no need to, but uh, I, there, there was no need, frankly, for a Trekkies 2 soundtrack, but I have it, and I enjoy it. I don't know why it's censored. Uh, there are a couple of songs on there that are censored for some reason. That seemed like an odd move, but uh, I still have it. It's it's in my possession. I listened to it recently. Uh, I like Star Trek. And I realized that other than having the DVDs kind of on a shelf in my house, which is going to be in one of the photos, uh, all the DVDs and Blu-rays and whatnot are on a shelf with a- another thing behind them that I'll be talking about in a moment, uh, I didn't really have any Star Trek art up anywhere, and I wanted some. So I bought some, because the Star Trek website had some. They've got some posters that are just sort of sort of retro-looking uh, designs of some of their best-known episodes, I guess. And I bought two, and I like one of them way more than I like the other one, but I wanted to represent Next Generation, and it kind of fit the mood of my place a little bit better than some of the other stuff that was on the website. They've got several options, but I, I picked out two that were of like shape and size and I thought sort of looked good together. Uh picked out one that is a representation of the original episode, The Trouble with Tribbles. Uh, sort of the iconic episode of that era of the show, Yeah, the tribbles, the little sort of fluffball things that breed rapidly and start taking over the ship and stuff like that. Not like taking over the ship, but it's just overwhelming the ship. There's so many of them. Uh, that one, I got, I got a poster of that and I really like that poster. It's very retro looking and very colorful, has a, has a, uh, depiction of the Enterprise with a whole bunch of tribbles kind of trailing out of the back of it. And, uh, the pictures of this, of course, on the website, I just put it in a simple black frame as I did the other one. The other one that I got is a uh, Next Generation episode hailed as one of the first really great Next Generation episodes called uh, uh, The Measure of a Man, and uh, that's the episode where Commander Data is put on trial, more or less, put before a tribunal to determine if he is sentient or not, uh, or if he's just a robot, like if he has autonomy and free will and is a sentient being a life form. And, or if he's just a robot and is considered property. So they, that's that's the nature of that episode, regarded as one of the first really great Star Trek Next Generation episodes. Uh, not not necessarily my favorite Next Generation episode. Uh, might not even crack my top five, but it was an important one, and it was sort of—I liked the poster, and it kind of fit a mood, like I said, and uh, there were other ones that were actually representations of episodes that I liked better, that I just didn't like the poster as much, you know? So I, I wanted something Next Generation on my wall, because Next Generation is probably my favorite Star Trek show, and uh, it just, it, that like, that era of the show means the world to me, of all of the designs of the Enterprise, I see that ship on that show, and that's that's my Enterprise, you know, and... Uh, I, I just, I, I have a big place in my heart for that show. So I wanted some of that on my wall. And so I picked up the measure of the man one. I might go back to the website from time to time and see if they release more episodes. And if there's one, maybe I like a little bit better. They had one for the episode, the Royale, which is the one where like Riker, Worf, and uh, data are trapped in an old style hotel and are trying to figure out how to get out of it. I like that episode a lot, but I didn't love the poster because it was just kind of garish, and it was supposed to be garish. And uh, there was another one that was for the Darmok episode, which is a quintessential Next Generation episode. I liked that one and just barely not enough, you know, but it just like it almost made the cut, but I went with Measure of the Man or Measure of a Man. And uh, I, I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with the choice, but I might go back and see if there's, you know, a couple of the other old favorites that end up on, uh, on the website at some point. Maybe there'll be a different one up there, or maybe there'll be a, just a third one up there. But the Measure of the Man one is very sort of blue and just has a sort of scribbled hand reaching upward, and uh, it just sort of meant, I think, to represent Data's circuitry in a hand and whatnot. Uh, it just sort of looked cool. I just sort of liked the look of it, and it ended up on my wall. And uh, I, again, don't need to go into too much more detail. You like Star Trek or you don't. And I do. So it's on my wall. There you go. That's it. That's the segment. to another set of kids The same bite that's always been When tear gas fills the sky What will you say you did? It's time we fight to win This episode is too long, but I'm having fun, so shut up and just keep listening, please. I'm sorry that I told you to shut up. That was rude. And you're doing me a favor by listening to the show, and you're really doing me a favor if you press like or if you subscribe to the feed. This is a bad song. Okay. Uh, Also, you can email the show at dbhaircrink.com, and I'll maybe read your thing on the air. Uh, One more segment. We got to talk about one more thing. Well, two more things. But in the ball of one thing that is this segment, I'm sorry that the show got bad at the end of it. I don't, I, I was doing so well up until here. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna just act like none of this happened, even though it's it's preserved forever on the internet. Uh, I want to talk about some art that's on my wall that's musical in nature. One of them I've talked about on the show already. I think I'm pretty sure it's been a little bit. If I have, though, Uh, and if I haven't, then this is all new, but I'm pretty sure that I have. Uh, it's one of those things that's going to end up on the blog just because it's closely tied to other things that I've already talked about. It's going to be kind of in the background of some photos anyway, so I figured, you know what? I also really like that piece and I'm going to talk about it. This is another one of those things that I can be brief on because I have talked about this band at great, great length in the past and you don't really need to hear me do it again. I have a framed piece of art on my wall that I am very happy to have on my wall that is representative of the band Rush, one of my favorite bands, uh, like right up there, one of my favorite bands, one of those next level favorite bands. Like My favorite band is The Who, but uh, I mean, like Rush, Pink Floyd, Yeah, there, there are bands that just sneak into that conversation really easily. Cheap Trick does too, so does Big Star, so does Queen, so does... Uh, it, it's just one of those next level acts for me, and uh, I I love Rush, and I've modeled a lot of my musical career after Rush, which uh, which may explain why I'm not more successful now that I'm thinking about it, because it, uh, it took them decades before everybody loved them. Uh, that's encouraging, actually, if you if you think about it. The, like now they're legends, but it it took them forever to to get there. It's kind of nice. Like, they've been the musician's band forever, but now they're kind of everybody's, and that's... Yeah, maybe maybe that feels okay. Anyway, I love Rush, and some time ago, couldn't tell you when, probably could if I went to my Facebook feed and found when I initially posted about it, but whatever. Uh, Some time ago, I got a piece of art that made me smile... And I just wanted it on my wall, and uh, I, I'm sure that I talked about this uh, this piece at least in the episode when I talked about Neil Peart passing away. Uh, it's what it is. is It's a a picture of uh, Getty and Alex in the forefront, dressed up or sort of made up. It's it's you know hand drawn, but I mean I don't have the hand drawn copy. I have a copy of a copy. You know I have a uh, it's a print. It's I don't have the original just to be clear, it's not a high dollar item, but, uh, it's, it's, it's Getty and Alex in the forefront dressed up to look like the American Gothic, which is, uh, the picture of the, uh, farmer and his wife or daughter, actually, I think is what that's supposed to be. But yeah, the guy with the pitchfork and there's the woman next to him kind of looking at him. Uh, there's a, some genius that, <laughs> that they put on the Rush website, uh, was selling prints of Getty and Alex as the American Gothic, calling it Canadian Gothic. And if you look really close at the farmhouse in the background, up in one of the windows, Neil is just kind of looking out from behind a, a curtain, which is just perfect for what his personality was. It's one of my favorite things in the house because it's so dumb and so funny, and just made me so happy when I saw it. I just I saw it and knew I had to have it, so I ordered it, and it got delivered here. And I immediately went out and bought the most expensive frame I could find for it and uh, and framed it myself. And uh, it's just been hanging in a place of prominence in my house, and it's actually right behind all of my uh, complete collection of all the Star Trek stuff, all of the Star Trek DVDs and Blu-rays and whatnot. It's right behind that, so it, it just made sense that I just talked about Star Trek and how I love Star Trek, and there's a big... Dumb Rush poster (laughs) right behind my Star Trek collection that is, like, the two are sort of married in my mind now, so I I had to talk about the one if I'm talking about the other, you know? Uh, Again, I'm sure I've talked about that Rush poster in the past. I love it. It's one of my favorite things. It still makes me smile every time I look at it. And uh, uh, yeah, check it out on the blog. Go to the blog and take a look at it. It's one of my favorite things in the house, and it's uh, it's one of my favorite things about one of my favorite things. I'm a huge Rush fan. Rush means the world to me. They're uh, you know someone takes a swipe at Rush, I feel like they're taking a swipe at me. Uh, yes, I like his voice. Yes, I like how complicated their songs are haven't actually read any Ayn Rand, but she was really only cited as an influence on the one album and people have made too much of that. And Neil Peart, toward the end of his life said, yeah, I got way too into her stuff. And he distanced himself from her works. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's a, it's, but somebody, you know, like Rush is one of those bands that like, you don't like Rush, I don't like you. That's uh, that's kind of where I fall on that. And uh, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, I, I, I don't mean that. It's fine if you don't like a band I like. That's, you know, all well and good. It's uh, not fine how how some people talk about the people that listen to them. I've certainly been a victim of that. Uh, I won't go into detail on the story, but there was uh, one time in high school that uh, somebody yelled, Rush sucks at me, and I yelled back, Yeah, so does your mom. And uh, that didn't end well. Uh, it was a fight that I lost. I'll leave it at that. And, uh, like, and I would love to say that that story ends with, and I was right there again the next day in a different Rush t-shirt. Uh, but it doesn't, it ends with uh, me being sad and scared as a teenager, but still liking Rush in, in, into my forties. Uh, that's, uh, just a, just a very important band in my life. Very important to me as a musician, very important to me philosophically. And, uh, I loved being able to put that on my wall and it's on my wall and you can take a look at it on my wall. If you go over to the, to the, uh, website, not website, but blog, if you go over to the blog at emptychecking.blogspot.com. there's pictures of that there. And one more, uh, one more thing, one more piece of art that I want to talk about. And it's also musical in nature. So it goes right along with the Rush thing. And actually it's also Canadian now that I think about it. He was Canadian, as well, as his as, as Rush. And actually so was William Shatner, which ties into the Star Trek thing. Kurt Vonnegut was from Indiana. We're, we're fine there. No idea where Jeff Smith is from, but I'm pretty sure he's an American. Nope, no thread there. Just a coincidence. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is I've got a framed lithograph that is a piece by Leonard Cohen on my wall. Leonard Cohen is another one of those sort of next level musicians to me, one of those next level of, of appreciation type of things. I, I have everything that he did as a musician, or at least pretty close. I think I'm maybe missing a little bit of live stuff, but whatever. I have all of the studio albums anyway. Uh, he, uh, big influence on me. I was very, very sad when he died. I had the pleasure of seeing him perform live a couple of years before he passed away, and it was it's one of my all-time favorite concerts. Uh, the print is a uh, its a lithograph, like I said, that doesn't really tie into his uh, musical career at all. It's actually something that is a drawing that I believe appeared in one of his books of assorted drawings and poetry. Uh, it's a nude. It's a nude woman uh, sitting next to a skull that I think is kind of cool. And it's one of those things that, like, With whatever album was coming out that year, I don't remember what album it was. I want to say it was Old Ideas, but I don't remember. I think it was that album. He was putting out an album that year, and one of the packages on his website, you could also get a limited edition lithograph to go with the album if you pre-ordered through the site. So I did that, because I wanted that lithograph. Actually, did I do that, or was that a gift from Dad? Because he knew that I wanted it, and was that like a Christmas thing? That might've happened. I'll have to, dad, if you're listening to this, leave me a comment somewhere, or text me and tell me that whether or not that's what happened. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a piece that is, it, it feels very personal to Leonard. Uh, I don't know the full story behind it, uh, to be honest with you. I just kind of saw, oh, I could get a lithograph that, you know, is something that a guy that I really admire drew. I, that, that's cool. And uh, I'm not even, I'm not the kind of guy who collects nude art. I don't, you know, really have a deep affinity for that kind of art. Uh, There's nothing particularly erotic about this piece. She is nude, but it's not like, ooh, look at that, you know. It's a very simple drawing. She just happens to be nude. It's actually the skull in the piece that interests me more than the nude, because it's just kind of an interesting juxtaposition, and I'm not quite sure what he's Saying there, the title of it is apparently after an old photograph, so I'm assuming that he had a photograph of a nude lady next to a skull at one point, and just sort of drew it and painted it. I think it, I think it was a watercolor initially. It's a lithograph now, uh, limited edition. It's not autographed. His signature is on there, but it was clearly part of the lithograph. You know, he didn't sign it. Uh, it's not that kind of piece, but it's it is a limited edition it 's a limited number of of prints and uh something about it I just fell in love with it I think i I think I just fell in love with it because it felt like it was something that was probably personal to him and I deeply admired Leonard Cohen as a writer and as a performer and as a, as a person. He seemed like the kind of guy that you know he seemed like the kind of guy that you want to be your grandpa. You know (laughs) in old age and that you kind of maybe want to turn into someday uh by absolute coincidence i am wearing a leonard cohen shirt right now as i'm uh, doing this episode and i'm i'm probably going to be wearing it in all of the pictures that are going on the on the site that are new uh but i uh i just had a real affinity for that piece and it took me probably 10 years to get it into a frame Just for reasons I can't fully personally explain, but there was something that just felt really personal about it and really private about it, and I just—for a while, it just had to sit, and it sat for years and years and years, and I just never got it into a frame, and one day, virtually on a whim, I decided, I'm gonna go to Michael's. Not the great frame-up. The The great frame-up would have done a great job with it. Would have done a far better job than what I did with it. But I, I decided I'm going to go to Michael's, and I'm going to see if there's a frame that jumps out at me that would be a good fit for it. And I found a lovely rustic blue frame with a mat in it, and I just thought, well, that's the one. That's the one I'm going to put it in. And uh, I did, and it's in there, and the mat covers up a little bit of it in a way that I'm not happy about, but it is what it is it wasn't worth changing, you know, it, it, you get, one gets the point of the picture, and, uh, uh, so I, I did end up just kind of loving how it looked in that frame, and it's hanging on, on the wall in what is sort of my home office slash little studio room, and, uh, I really love looking at it, and I just like looking at it and thinking about it and thinking, well, it's, you know, just thinking about what it might mean and what it might have meant to Leonard, and, uh, Uh, Leonard Cohen, again, just one of those next-level influences on my life. You know him as the guy who wrote Hallelujah, uh, probably. You know that, uh, Her and there was a secret going that David played. Please the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? By the way, one of the most vicious lines in all of recorded music, I think, that one. That's such a mean line. Uh, But you don't really care for music, do you? That's such a... It's such a mean thing to say to somebody, because who doesn't love music, you know? Like, it's such—it's it's a joy that we all share, and you don't really care for it, do you? That's such a mean line, and it's, it's a song that is so full of innuendo and subtext, and there's—I it, mean, it's a song about sex. Let's be— completely forthright about that. You hear people occasionally sing it in churches and you're kind of going, what is this? Is the the sermon this week on Song of Solomon? Uh, That was a joke for Bible scholars. Uh, But yeah, it's it's a very sort of erotic song in some ways, or or certainly a very sexual song in some ways. But it's, uh, you know, people only hear the uh, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's all people hear you know, they don't think about the rest of the lyrics, but it's a very sex-driven song. He's he's the guy that wrote that. But that's, uh, that's, I mean, that's one of the world's perfect songs, but it might not even be my favorite Leonard Cohen song. Uh, Leonard Cohen, check out, uh, Live in London. That's a, that's an album he put out, uh, just uh, probably within 10 years before he died, probably maybe within five years before he died. It's uh, just, just sort of a late-life renaissance for him, and it's, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful, intimate-feeling uh, live show that also feels huge and feels epic and feels overwhelming and, and beautiful, and uh, it's one of my favorite things to listen to. If I'm in a Leonard Cohen mood, this is not a thing that happens often, but if I'm in a Leonard Cohen mood, I reach for that, which is a latter-day thing. Like, usually if I'm in the mood to hear something, I want to hear the old stuff. I want to hear, you know, something from the first 10 to 20 years of their career. I don't want to hear the new one. I don't want to hear the latter-day work. But in a rare thing, I want to hear Live in London, one of the sort of late things that he did, because it's it's just kind of a perfect telling of that, of that part of his career. Of, like, the, of his career up till that point. It's a guy in the late stages of his career, paying homage to his entire career. Uh, And then he went on to record several more albums. And uh, start with Live in London. That's what I'll say to you, if you want to get into Leonard Cohen. Um, Because some of the uh, studio recordings, his voice was of a nature that uh, it didn't shine very well in the studio recordings. Like even even the studio recording of Hallelujah is almost laughable in tone. Uh, it's it's it almost seems like a, a parody of itself, which I think was part of the point. But it, it just the nature of his voice on that recording seems seems almost out of place. Especially the first one you ever heard was the Jeff Buckley version. But uh, uh, just some of his studio work, his voice. I love, but if, if you're new to him and you pick up the studio version of Hallelujah, or you pick up like the essential Leonard Cohen and it's all the studio versions, you might go, how do people, how do people get into this voice? Cause it's, it's a very, at one point in his career, it's very high and nasaled. And then at a different point in his career, it, it his voice deepened and got really low. And it, it almost feels like he's just whisper talking to you and that can be jarring and difficult to kind of get into, Live in London solves all of those problems for you. If you just listen to Live in London, you'll kind of get what he was going for throughout his entire career, because it's a guy who finally figured out how to do it, you know? And that's I think that's part of what I love about Leonard Cohen, too, is you hear a guy who's doing this beautiful, beautiful work that is sometimes just limited by what he was able to capture in the studio, you know, and then you hear his live stuff and you go, oh, I get it. I I see what he was trying to do. Uh, so it's, it's really best to, I think, just start with, with that. Um, that—I I feel so strange about everything I just said, because it almost felt like I was ragging on him for having a bad voice or something. That's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, he has a very unique voice. He has a voice that you might not expect out of your standard pop song, you know? But he wasn't really a pop singer. He's a folk singer. So if you're under—if you're under-familiar with that genre, if you're under-familiar with what he was trying to accomplish, it might be jarring, is what I'm saying but it's a beautiful voice. It's a wonderful voice. I love his voice. I wish I had his voice, but you just might not expect it if you pick up a random Leonard Cohen thing and decide to get into it. It's best to hear what he became rather than how he got there, I think. This is, you could have this same discussion with Rush, because everybody talks about how screechy Getty Lee was, and my response to that is always, yeah, on the first four albums, but they had 20, and his voice mellowed over time. You know, like, let it go just let you know like and also if you don't like somebody's voice it's his fucking voice what's he supposed to do you know i mean you can say well they should get a different singer then yeah did you try doing that as a as a band that's trying to make it you try getting rid of the guy who's got the identifiable uh, signature sound of your band you know that's that's such an absurd thing you you shouldn't criticize someone for their voice it's okay not to like their voice It's a whole other thing to say, well, I mean, obviously the voice is a problem. No, it's not. The voice is the voice that person has, you know, and I I think I'm yelling at you about Rush more than I am Leonard Cohen now, but uh, (laughs) Leonard had a very specific voice that uh, I think over time he found it, and I think he... It was just a really interesting, strange road to get there. And you, if you're a big fan of his, you enjoy charting that. If you're new to him, start with the live stuff that came out toward the end of his career. It's gonna be a much easier transition to get into him. that's that's my recommendation to you. But uh, I have his lithograph on my wall, and I love looking at it, and I love thinking about it. and uh, I don't know. It's one of those things that there's there's sexuality in the image, but it's not really about that. It's about something else, and it's about thinking about what went into that image. It's a little bit like hallelujah in that way. Maybe that's what I love about it. Leonard Cohen was a very complicated guy, and I I really love having something on my wall that makes me think about him and makes me think about other stuff and and, uh, isn't it wonderful that art can do that? And that's, that's, that's the stuff that's hanging on my wall that I wanted to talk about. Talked about, uh, talked about some literature, talked about some TV, talked about some music stuff as a result, and I think that hit most of the bases for what we do on this show usually, so yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Check out all that stuff. Check out, check out, I mean, maybe not the art, but check out the stuff related to that art. That's all cool. I think you'll like all of it, or some of it, or none of it. I don't care. I like all of it. It's on my wall. It doesn't have to be on yours. It's on mine. Maybe it belongs on mine. That's okay. Maybe it doesn't belong. Maybe you got other stuff on your. Tell me what's on your wall. You think you're so big, you think you're so hot. Tell me what's on your wall. In the, in, in the comments. On the Podbean page or the blog. Those are places I'll read them. You can write comments elsewhere. I'll never know about them. You can email the show. Tell me what you have on your wall. Maybe you don't have anything on your wall. Maybe you're that kind of guy. Ah, isn't trailing off a wonderful thing? all right my dear sweet gentle checkmates my sweet sexy checkmates with whom everybody wants to have sex just upon knowing that they're around don't ever convince yourself of anything else uh my my dear wonderful checkmates that is uh, the end of this episode it's been a long one it's been a fun one for me i hope it was a fun one for you If not, maybe the next episode will be. Next episode is episode number 99, and after that is 100. Remember what I said at the start of the show. I want episode number 100 to be all about you, if that is in any way possible. If not, it'll be just maybe a little bit about you. So send me questions, send me comments, send me whatever you want to send me at db at derekbrink.com or leave a comment on emptychecking.blogspot.com or emptychecking.podbean.com, and I will see them there. But the best way is db at derekbrink.com and I would love to talk about whatever you have to say to me in your emails on episode number 100. Thank you so much for being part of the show. Thank you for listening to me this week. Uh, This was a fun one. I like talking about the goofy stuff I have around my house, and the art on my walls makes me happy and uh, reminds me of other things that make me happy. Uh, Maybe you've got those things in your life, too, and I would love to hear about them. That may be one of the things that you want to write, in your email, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know who you are. I don't know how you listen to things. I don't know how you engage with shows like this. But uh, that's uh, maybe a suggestion. Tell me what's. Uh, tell me what's on your wall and all that stuff. Uh, th- thanks is is really what I'm saying here. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for your attention this week. I had a lot of fun doing it. I hope you had a lot of fun hearing it. I may be half vaccinated, you may be fully vaccinated for all I know, but for the time being at least, please remember to wear a mask when you go outside and are around other people if you are unable to social distance, but please social distance as much as you can too if you can't wear the goddamn mask please get the vaccine when and if you're eligible everybody in the world should be able to get it by now please get the vaccine there's really no excuse it'll only do you good for the vast 99.999999 repeating percent of you please get vaccinated as soon as you can that is how we will get back to normal please remember that black lives matter and that trans rights are human rights be good to each other, be good to yourself, forgive each other, and forgive yourself. And while you're doing all that, check us out next time. I bet all you checkmates really do care for music, don't ya?